The following is a conversation between Donald Romanick, President and CEO of the Episcopal Church Foundation, and Denver Frederick, the host of The Business of Giving. The abrupt cessation of in-person worship in churches, synagogues, and mosques around the country is one of the most significant sudden disruptions in the practice of religion in U.S. history. How are churches and their congregants adapting to this? And what will its long-term impact be, if any? Here to discuss that and much more. It's a pleasure to have with us Donald Romanick, the president of the Episcopal Church Foundation. Welcome to the Business of Giving, Donald. Thank you, Denver. Great to be with you. Let's begin by having us, you tell us about ECF, as it's known, some of its history and the work that you do. Well, thank you. The Episcopal Church Foundation is an independent, lay-led organization. It was founded in 1949, and our mission is to work with Episcopal congregations in the areas of visioning and planning, leadership, and financial resource development. We're independent in that we do not report to any of the judicatories of the church. We're lay-led in that by custom and practice, all our members of our board of directors are lay people because long before people were talking about ministry of all the baptized, ECF was about lay empowerment and lay partnership with clergy. You know, one of your signature programs is ECF Vital Practices. Share with us what that is. Yes, and the website is ecfvp.org. Boy, Vital Practices has become an incredible resource during this time of hunkering down. Basically, it's kind of, well, it was the, the reimagination of our print publication called Vestry Papers. Uh, vestries are the local governing boards for Episcopal congregations. And when I first got there 15 years ago, we would publish a you know, 10 or 12 page newsletter on kind of how-to ideas for vestries on managing their congregations. Knowing nothing about kind of online publications, I went to staff and said, how can we make this digital? Because that seems to be where things are going. Uh, this is about 10 plus years ago. And the result has been vital practices. And vital practices not only continues the vestry paper articles, their blogs, their links, their ideas, their videos, their webinars, all about not only how to manage a congregation, but at this point, how to even cope with remote worship, you know, diminishing financial resources, and all the types of things that people are looking for. I just got the numbers from our director of communications. And from February 15th to March 15th, we do like mid-month to mid-month. From the middle of March to middle of April, our visits and our users have increased by 35, 40%. Mm, yeah. And over last year at the same time, it's almost 50 and 60%, which indicates that people are hungry and looking for practical, innovative, but spiritually grounded resources and tools to get them through these difficult times. Mm -hmm. Well, speaking of remote, Donald, how have you managed to change from in-person worship to providing online and virtual services? How has that been going? And what have you discovered? Uh, it's interesting. I think we're, there are two periods. First of all, I think most congregations with the capability of doing live streaming or remote worship, I think they were really gearing up to Easter. Mm -hmm. And what happened is a lot of congregations, especially more resource congregations, 
we're basically replicating the type of worship service people would have if they went to church. Now, the Episcopal Church is a liturgical church, and we have a lot, I mean, Holy Week and Easter is kind of the major event of the, of the year. And, and some congregations, including my son's congregation, Heavenly Rest in Abilene, with, you know, very small people in the chancel kind of replicated Palm Sunday and Good Friday and the Eucharist and chanting and reading the gospel and people vested. And I think a lot of these folks said, we have to get to Easter. We have to get through Easter because that is kind of the seminal event in our liturgical yeah. year. I think what's happening now is people are saying, okay, how do we make online worship a little different rather than just replicating what people may see if they were in church? How do you adapt it to maybe make it a little more creative, a little different especially if we're talking about another four, five, six weeks of this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's funny. I was speaking to somebody about board meetings, and their recommendation was don't try to put a board meeting online. It's a virtual board meeting, and you need to think about it differently than just replicating what you would have done ordinarily in person. And it sounds to me that you're taking a page out of that book. Let's talk about children. Are there ways you're exploring to, to get children and adolescents involved so they can continue their education and faith journey online with the help of their families? Well, I mean, the reality is we have a relationship with the organization that was called the Network for Christian Formation, FORMA, and now FORMA's part of ECF. And, and the idea of FORMA was how do you bring Christian formation to like a changing church and world? And the reality is, is that given erratic worship attendance, the traditional Sunday school has been losing some of its steam, except in some of, maybe in kind of traditional places and in larger resource parishes. And basically, we've been advocating that it's the home, it's the family where children need to get the basics of their faith. Now, that's been the case in, you know, the Jewish tradition and the Muslim tradition, Christians, for the most part, have relied on Sunday school as the primary focus, but that's not happening. Again, some larger resource parishes are having Sunday school online, but what we've been doing is providing in-home resources for families on how to do formation at home, and especially when young people and children are, this is kind of a scary time for them. Yeah. How do you use our Christian traditions as a way of calming them and grounding them during this period. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously it's challenging because they're being homeschooled or getting their academics from online. So we're trying to make sure the resources are contextual and adaptable to a family setting without just creating one additional layer of anxiety in terms of remote learning. We're getting yeah, some yeah. good feedback. We have a lot of people who do this both professionally and vocationally who are, who are putting this together. And, and so far, we're getting some, some good results. That's good. So I saw that Gallup reported that about 19% of Americans said their faith or spirituality had gotten better as a result of this crisis. Only 3% said it had gotten worse. And that was a net gain of 16 percentage points, which was far and away the highest and most positive gain of all the aspects that Gallup had tested for. So I'd be curious, Donald, what do you make of this? Do you have a sense that there is something significant going on here, or is this just a snapshot of the moment? 
Well, I guess that there, there are two theories out there. One is that, is this going to be another mini great awakening or great awakening in the, the first part of the 21st century? And other people are saying, you know, some people may just not come back to church when this is over, much like athletics and cultural institutions are concerned about audiences coming back. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, though, and I know from my own personal network, but also, you know, at least anecdotally, a lot of unchurched people are watching services online during this lockdown. Mm. Now, first of all, I think people are watching a lot of things online, whether yeah. <laughs> television programs or, or that. And, and some of these people, some of, I mean, I have, you know, despite my affiliation, most of my friends are not necessarily churchgoers, mm-hmm. although they may have a kind of Christian traditions but they've been logging in. They're logging in to see my son's services and sermons because they know David growing up. But I find a lot of other parishes are having outsiders join their services. What I'm advising them is be sure you kind of get these people's contact information so you can stay in touch. Mm. But it may be that some of these parishes or congregations have the traditional congregation that gathers, but how do you continue to support the spiritual needs of people who don't want to darken your door, but still want that online experience? And some congregations are even saying, even when we get back to quote unquote normal, we still want to have a robust online presence. Yeah, well, that's great. It's going to be not a replacement, but an amplification. And there are probably some benefits of getting the church outside of its building, I would guess. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. What has been the impact of this pandemic on your fundraising and fiscal health and the Episcopal Church community at large? ECF has kind of three sources of funding. We we have an endowment, which obviously has been compromised. Mm-hmm. We have we have fee for service because we manage endowments on behalf of Episcopal institutions. That income continues to roll in, but again, it's been compromised because it's tied to markets and of course philanthropy. Philanthropy, I think, is going to be uh, tight this year, especially since a lot of our givers are mature folks Mm -hmm. uh, who rely on accumulated assets for both their philanthropic and their day-to-day needs. So we're looking at that. But unlike some other organizations, we are not tied to gathering large numbers of people together as our business or our missional model. So we're tightening the belt. We are going to see how we get through the next three, six months and kind of focusing on what areas kind of help us live out our core mission and maybe what areas may be a little more expendable in these times. Mm-hmm. In terms of uh, congregations, I think they're, they're struggling. Some of the larger churches in Manhattan, for example, they rely much like other parts of New York City, rely on visitors, especially during high holy day season. Some parishes, some large Episcopal churches, plate income on Easter Sunday could be $35,000, dollars $50,000. That disappears. Yeah. Um, obviously, you have your core group of parishioners who pledge, and hopefully they're keeping up with their pledge. But a lot of that ancillary income, again, in New York, a lot of these churches, they have rental space. They rent to restaurants. They rent to businesses that's been negatively impacted. 
kind of ironically, Denver, some of the smaller, more spread out rural dioceses are almost doing better because they're used to a business model that does not depend on large numbers of people or a lot of cash coming in. So they've already adapted models that are a little more amenable to this kind of changing environment. Interesting. Donald, share with us what it's been like to work with your team in this entirely virtual environment. And do you foresee any changes in your workplace when we return to, let's say, a semblance of normal? Interestingly, or maybe not surprisingly, I was never a kind of a remote person who worked from home. I found it distracting. I found it isolating. And prior to this, unless I was working on a a production document, if you will, an article or something, working at home wasn't kind of what I like to do. I tend to be relational. I like to, you know, pop in someone's office and say, how's it going? You know, let's go grab lunch or take a walk in the park. That's not happening now. I'm much more used to working at home. I've never in my wildest dreams thought I would be on this many Zoom meetings. (laughs) Um, But it's getting better. It's getting better. It's nice to see people's faces. And I'm having weekly gatherings with my management team and weekly gatherings with the entire staff team. And up until now, a lot of that has been just checking in on how people are doing, how people are doing with kids at home and Mm -hmm. managing the stresses of being kind of isolated. But it's been a month and now I think we're moving more into, okay, how do we start planning for what things may look like on the other side of this? So, yeah. uh, and that's kind of giving me a little more energy and excitement as we move forward. Yeah, I think that's a transition that a lot of organizations are making. What have you found to be the keys of being an effective leader in a crisis? And do you think your leadership is going to change as a result of all this? I think communication. Uh-huh. Um, You know, obviously the full gatherings, I've been scheduling just weekly calls with management team members. I've been making some random calls to other employees, sending out emails. We've been using this little uh, website, I always forget the name, uh, Discord. Discord's a little app that I guess you can sign into and staff are sharing photographs, recipes, I mean, we have three or four categories, kind of the, the, the wider community, uh, faith issues, family issues, and fun issues, and people sharing videos, and just another opportunity to kind of uh, stay connected. Um, mm-hmm. I guess, you know, my leadership style, I think, has adjusted, for the most part, to this kind of remote environment. I don't know if I could sustain this indefinitely. But I think I've adapted, surprisingly, Mm. to the fact that I can't pop in and see people or take them to lunch or that. But I feel even at my mature age, this has been an opportunity to kind of reinvent myself as a leader and hopefully help to reinvent my organization as we move forward. Yeah, well, that's a great perspective. And this has certainly been easier for introverts than it has for extroverts. That is one thing that I have observed. Finally, Donald, traumatic events such as this bring with it an endless series of challenges, but they also provide opportunities for institutions to learn, to evolve, and seize new possibilities. What opportunities do you see for ECF and the broader Episcopal Church community as you look out towards the future? Well, I guess 
I'll start with the broader Episcopal Church community. I mean, how do we take advantage? That's probably not the best term, but but how do we utilize this this apparent spiritual awakening once we kind of move to the next phase of this crisis? I think moving to uh, normal is probably too strong a term at this point. So how do individual congregations regather people, reconnect with their core membership, but also look at new ways of outreach to the wider community of the world? So I think some are going to be able to do that well. Unfortunately, I think a lot of small struggling congregations may not be able to do that and may not be able to make it on the other side. That being said, for an organization that supports congregations, ECF has a unique opportunity to kind of take the pulse of our constituents and determine what tools and resources do they need to thrive in this brave new world and maybe what things are no longer as essential or as important as they once were. I think we've had a very robust online presence during this lockdown. I think we need to capitalize on that as an additional opportunity. The other thing I've been doing, I've been talking to a lot of bishops Mm. and kind of finding out how they're doing and what we can do to help. And one of the things we're also doing, we're coming up with what I'm calling navigating the new normal, which is just kind of a compendium of resources and tools and webinars on helping people kind of readjust to this new reality. Everything from staying in the moment in terms of making sure the good things that came out of this crisis continue to how do you maintain an online presence while still going back to our in-person liturgical traditions. Mm -hmm. Sounds like a very dynamic time for ECF. For those people who want to learn more about the Episcopal Church Foundation, tell us a little bit more about that website and some of the information that visitors will find there if they come. Well, our organizational website is www.episcopalfoundation.org, which tells about our programs and our staff and our board. And Vital Practices, ecfvp.org, that is the resource I mentioned earlier. We probably have uh, 20 or so webinars archived there. We have tools, resources. We're continuing to engage people both during this crisis and beyond. And that's the place I think you'd find the most interesting information, whether you're a congregation or a seeker or someone who's just trying to figure out how to cope during this crazy period. Well, good stuff. And I want to thank you, Donald, for taking the time to do this. Thanks very much and be well. Thank you, Denver. Same to you.